0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. i got to admit, I feel a little sad today in closing out our study on the life of Paul. I have grown so much to appreciate and love this man in the last six months as i poured over writings about him, Um, read again the scriptures that we have read together and uh, it's going to sound kind of dumb but i found myself even getting a little emotional this week as i considered paul's final days on the earth it's like i'm saying goodbye to a friend see you later in heaven even though um, we're going to read more of him in in years to come Um, the name of this message is rome sweet rome it was the place paul had always wanted to go And let's begin with prayer before we even start reading this morning. Heavenly Father, in this final study that we have together in Paul's long road to Rome, we pray that on our own journey, our own road, that our priorities, our decisions, our goals, our plans would all be in accordance with your perfect plan for our lives. We want to make a difference. We don't presume to think we could make the kind of difference Paul made, but you've given us some sphere, some platform to do that. We pray that we would do it faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've heard about a guy named Yitzhak Kaduri. He was uh, 108 years old when he died. He was a rabbi in Jerusalem who died in January of 06, at 108, they say. Now when he died, he was so famous in Israel that two to three hundred thousand people attended his funeral out in the streets of Jerusalem. That's not what makes him unique. What makes him unique is before he died, he told his followers on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he said, I know who the Messiah is. I know his name. In fact, he said, I met him. He wrote down what he said was Messiah's name on a piece of paper, sealed it, and asked his followers not to open it till after his death. It was just opened this last April in 07. And when it was read, it shocked the Jews in Jerusalem, especially his followers, for it read, Yahushua, Yeshua, or Jesus, is the Messiah. It said, it's, let, let, me, let me continue. You may not get that excited. <laughs> Many have known his name, but not believe that he is the Messiah. Now, we're unsure as to exactly whom he was speaking. Because he had very different ideas of the Messiah. If you read his writings, you might think it's Jesus, the one we know. You might not. But now you compare Yitzhak Kaduri with another rabbi who came to Christ. We've been studying him, Saul of Tarsus. He didn't rattle a few cages. He shook the world. And he has been shaking it for the last 2,000 years in his writings. Saul of Tarsus... A.K.A. Paul the Apostle. His conversion is so dramatic, it's mentioned three times in the book of Acts. And we've been studying that. We followed him. We followed him from the synagogue in Jerusalem, where he told the men to go ahead and kill Stephen, the first martyr. We followed him on the Damascus Road when he himself was transformed. We saw him preaching in Damascus till he had to get kicked out. We followed him down to Arabia for about three years where in solitude he reassessed his life. We followed him back to Jerusalem where he preached it up again and created a stir and had to be taken out back to Tarsus, his hometown, where he spent up to seven years until Barnabas called for him to go to Antioch. And at Antioch he started his ministry. From Antioch we followed him on three missionary journeys around Galatia, Asia Minor, Macedonia, Greece, and then finally on that long boat ride and shipwreck to Rome. We have seen a soldier. We have read about and studied an uncompromising, unrelenting preacher of the gospel. And I want to ask this question in, in closing out the study on the life of Paul. What kind of statement are you making with your life? If you think about your goals, your plans, your dreams, what are you doing now that will leave a legacy for later on? Think about life for just a moment. Let me frame it a little bit differently. Tim Heyman writes, In the average lifetime, the average American spends three years in business meetings. It's way too long. Three year, thirteen years watching television way too long is right we 'll spend eighty nine thousand two hundred and eighty one dollars on food consumes one hundred and nine thousand three hundred and fifty four pounds of food makes one thousand eight hundred and eleven trips to mcdonald 's no wonder we got problems. Spend $6,881 in vending machines. Will eat 35,138 cookies. I don't know how they figure this stuff out. And 1,483 pounds of candy. Will catch 304 colds. Will be involved in six motor vehicle accidents. And will be hospitalized eight times. That's the average for men. 12 times is the average for women. Don't ask me to go there. And we'll spend 24 years sleeping. All of that and then you die. And that's it. So that's the question. What are you doing in all of this to leave a legacy? What kind of a statement are you making with your life? There's a cathedral in Milan, Italy that has three arches as you go in. On one arch is inscribed in stone a beautiful rose, and underneath it says, All that pleases is but for a moment. On the opposite far arch is inscribed a cross in stone, and it reads, All the troubles is but for a moment. And over the biggest, the central and largest arch is the inscription that reads, Nothing is important save that which is eternal. Paul had this uncanny way, did he not, of always going through that central arch in life and taking all of his activities, all of his goals, plans, and dreams, and thinking of his life in the temporary with an eternal perspective. And so, Acts 28, we begin in verse 11, Paul's arrival at Rome, which was marked by fellowship. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the Twin Brothers, which had wintered at the island. And Sailing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And there we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was committed to dwell, permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Rome at last. The place Paul dreamed of, the The place that dominated his life for the second part of his life. He always wanted to go there. He wrote to the Romans and said, I'm coming. He always planned it. Just a note on the literature of Luke and Acts. You know, the the, the writer Luke wrote two books. Gospel of Luke and a sequel, the book of Acts. And Luke had uh, a style in his writing. That is, he followed the flow of travel... Um, In Luke, the flow is from Galilee to Jerusalem. The book of Acts, it's from Jerusalem to Rome. And if Jerusalem dominated Jesus' mind, then Rome dominated Paul's mind. Why? Here's the answer in part, Romans 15, verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, Rome itself was a magnificent city. still is. Rome was originally built on seven hills on the Tiber River. Uh, Architecturally magnificent town, if you've ever been there, just the Colosseum and the Forum. But beyond that, there was the three circuses, the Circus Maximus and two others that were around the forum, and these weren't circuses like with clowns and monkeys. A circus in those days was a building where chariot races were conducted. Uh, The pantheon was built by Caesar Augustus to worship all the false gods of Rome, a magnificent building, they say. Roman baths, aqueducts, temples, and I mentioned the forum. At one end, the Colosseum. At the other end, the Mamertine prison. And right in the middle of the forum stood the golden milestone that had inscribed on it the distances to all of the major cities in the Roman Empire. It was the golden milestone where we get the old saying, All roads lead to Rome. It was also a very wicked city morally. We know that from the writers themselves. Seneca, a Roman writer, said, Rome is a cesspool of iniquity. Another writer, Juvenal, said, Rome is a filthy sewer. So why does Paul want to go to Rome in the first place? You know, we keep asking that question. You know, if it's, okay, it's a great big city, but it's filthy, why go there? For the same reason he wants to go to Corinth or Ephesus or Athens. Because light shines the brightest in the darkest places. If all roads lead to Rome, then the reverse must also be true. All roads will lead from Rome. If you can get the greatest message ever preached to the greatest city in the world, it could be exported everywhere from Rome. Well, he goes. He makes it. He's met by locals, we see in verse 13 through 15. Some come all the way from Rome to the Appy Forum, which is 43 miles outside of town. Just think about what that means. These believers walked 43 miles just to welcome Paul to town. And three inns is about 30 miles out of town. It's a little closer, but still walking 30 miles to meet somebody. It must have been highly emotional for Paul just seeing these believers. Because it says he thanked God... And he took courage. Think about that. There's Paul walking on the road. Then he's told, these are brothers who have come from Rome to see you. And he said, oh, thank you, God. He became courageous. It's not hard to understand why, is it? he longed to be there. Remember Romans chapter 1? For I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift unto you that we'd be mutually encouraged. He wrote to them. He planned to go there. He's been waiting in a prison in Caesarea. Two years to get there. Took a long boat ride that took the better part of a year with delays and a shipwreck. Now he's come to Rome. And he sees for the first time believers. Pause on that thought, would you? Have you ever thought how important encouragement is to a servant of God? You know, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. It could take... A visit. A word. A card. You can go so far. This this week I stopped to see uh, an old saint who used to minister around here years ago, who's now weakened. I just stopped by for a few minutes and talked to him, and before I left he took my arm and he said, Thank you. I didn't do anything. But I was just visiting him. You know, if you were this week to sit down and write a note to one of our missionaries. Just say, I've been praying for you this week and thinking about you, especially since Sunday. They kind of told me to do this. (laughs) But you know how far that would go to encourage one of them? Listen to this. Paul writes, Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus didn't do anything. He just came. And that was enough to bring comfort just to see him did it for him. Well, simple encouragement has a way of greasing the gears of ministry. And making a servant of the Lord, a missionary, an apostle like this, just gain enough courage to say, I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to quit. A little boy at home showed how important encouragement was when he said to his dad, Let's play darts, Dad. Here's how it works. I'll throw them and you say, That was wonderful. (laughs) little boy just knew he needed Dad's encouragement. Well, let's go to verse 17 now and see how it's not just the arrival that marked the stay in Rome, but the gospel. Before we read, it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called you, to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. That word sect is a very interesting word. It's heresy, actually. Ah, yeah, we've heard about this Christian heresy. We, we'd like to know your opinion. So, verse 23, When they had appointed Him a day, many came to Him at His lodging, to whom He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So, when they did not agree among themselves... They departed after Paul said one word. Listen to his last final message to these leaders. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. He spoke from years of experience when he said that one. When he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Okay, here's the flow of Paul's time at Rome. He comes and he rests for three days. It's not very long when you think of the boat ride he's been on. Three days later, he's back to work. He's a steward of the gospel. So he brings the Jewish leaders in. That's the first thing he does in Rome, is to get the Jewish leaders. Now, have you noticed a pattern with the apostle? Whether he is in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, anywhere, he first goes to a Jewish synagogue. Because he's Jewish, he's a rabbi. He always starts there. He never bore any animosity toward the Jewish nation, even though they accused him falsely and persecuted him in every city. You know, you'd think, after a while, forget the synagogue. I'm going to go right to the marketplace. He never did that. That was his pattern. And he tells us in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Paul's passion was the gospel. You will never understand Paul's life at all until you understand this key. What drove this man forward in life all the way to his death was one thing and one thing only. And that is the message of the gospel. He loved to watch people's lives changed. I mean, what would make him go from place to place to get beat up, thrown in jail, kicked out of town, go to the next town, beat up, thrown in jail, every year, year after year, in every place? Either he's a nutcase, or he loved the fact that some will be transformed in that city, and it never got old watching people get saved. One researcher I've read for years writes, The typical church believer will die without leading a single person to a life-saving knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that sad? Now, I'm not sharing that so you'll feel guilty today and say, "Ah, Woe is me. But rather say, I don't want to die like that. I don't want to go to all those business meetings and eat all that McDonald's and do all that stuff and then die without impacting some life. And Paul always had the gospel in his mind. He's there two years, we read. Now, why two years? He's there two years because he has been accused of crimes. He is waiting. Caesar Nero will be waiting in Rome for either papers to come or accusers to come from Jerusalem for the trial. Now, whatever documentation was aboard that boat has been lost at sea in the shipwreck. So the waiting period begins, two years. What do you do for two years? What do you do in prison for two years? You say, well, what he ought to do is build a case. He's going to be at trial. He should get the best Roman lawyers money can provide. He didn't do that. But we know he does three things for two years in a Roman prison. Number one, home Bible studies. Look back at verse 16. Now when we came, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So he is chained with a manacle and a chain to a Roman soldier. Now look at verse 23. When they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified. Verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. Paul was under what is called house arrest. That is, he couldn't leave his house. He had to pay for it. He had to rent it. But he couldn't leave it. So that means people could come to him, and people came to him. We know that church leaders came to him, and he discipled them. We know that because he wrote a letter from this prison, the letter of Colossians. And he talks about those leaders by name. Tychicus, or Tychicus, Aristarchus, Justus and Epaphras, all mentioned. Then also, Jewish leaders came, as we saw in what we read. He invited them into his house. Look at verse 23, this home Bible study. That he was explaining and solemnly testifying and persuading them, and keep reading in verse 23, from morning till evening. Don't picture this Bible study as an hour Bible study, and then they take a break for cookies and punch. This was a 10 to 12-hour dialogue from the Old Testament persuading people that Jesus was the Messiah. This was the most exciting Bible study in history. Did you know that your home can be a place of ministry? I mean, think of it this way. You could, Lord willing, if, if He leads you in that, you could open up your home once a week, once a month, for a home fellowship. Here's a thought. Invite some neighbors Wednesday night to the Bible from 30,000 feet. Hey, have you ever wondered what the Bible message is all about? We're going to do an overview of it. Come Wednesday night, then come back to our house Sunday night. Meals on us. And let's discuss the relevance of the Bible for your life. Okay. Now, verse 24. This is what happened, and this is what you can expect to happen. It says, some were persuaded, and some disbelieved. We can't expect anything different, can we? You're going to share a message with a group of people, or with a few people, or with your neighbors or family, and some will believe, and some will reject. But learn to rejoice in those who believe, or the one who believes. The one or two or few who respond. Remember Jesus said that the kingdom of God was like a guy who sowed seed out in a field. Remember that parable? 25% didn't even hear. It fell up by the wayside. And they wanted nothing to do with it. Another 50% had an emotional temporary response and only 25% of the hearers in that parable any bore any kind of fruit at all. And Jesus said that's what the kingdom of God is like. So some will believe and some will disbelieve. So we know that Paul, while he was in Rome for two years, had home Bible studies. Second thing he did was personal evangelism. I already drew your attention back to verse 16 and verse 30 and said that Paul was chained to a Roman guard. This was house arrest. Now it says that uh, he was delivered, verse 16, to the... Captain of the guard. This was the praetorian, the palace guard. It would be equivalent to the secret service, perhaps, of our day. This is what it means. Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Four of them a day, serving six-hour shifts, chained to Paul. Can you imagine being chained to Paul, the apostle? for six hours they were a captive audience Paul looked at that chain and looked at that soldier and thought this is great this is an opportunity they can't get away and he took advantage of that have you ever shared with somebody and they don't like what you have to say what do they do they walk away this guy can't walk away Now, evidently, what was happening as Paul was using this opportunity to speak to this guard and then three guards and then four more the next day, etc., is that some of them began being touched by what Paul said and were probably trading duty. Hey, uh, do you mind if I take your shift? Yeah, Paul was right in the middle of this great point. I, I want to finish it out in the next six hours. Now, you might think, well, Skip, you're just being very colorful and making a lot of this stuff up. I'm not, actually. I want you to turn over to Philippians and see something with me. Turn to that book. Flip to Philippians chapter 1. It was a book that Paul wrote while he was in prison two years in Rome. Verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me, my imprisonment, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, that's the praetorian guard, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So, go over to chapter 4 of Philippians with that thought in mind. The end of the book, verse 21, his closing remarks, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are what? Caesar's household. How did he ever manage to get anyone in Caesar's household saved? He was chained to the elite guard. And evidently they started getting saved and telling other soldiers and telling people so that there's a revival in Caesar's household. This is cool. And notice that Paul writes in chapter 1, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. He didn't say, yeah, I'm in prison. It's horrible. I hate it. He goes, guys, listen. What has happened to me has allowed me to preach the gospel. How else would these guards ever be reached unless I was in jail being able to share with them? So we know he had home Bible studies. We know he did personal evangelism. And we know, number three, that he wrote books or letters Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, the book of Philemon were all written from this first Roman imprisonment during those two years. I got to tell you something. I'm glad Paul was in jail. Aren't you? You wouldn't have those books otherwise. And by the way, of all of Paul's writings, they're the most Christological, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting books. He wrote them during that time home Bible studies, personal evangelism, and writing, all while he is in jail. You know why? Listen to this man's philosophy of life. From the last letter he wrote, 2 Timothy, he writes, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Did you get that? In other words, he's saying, I've learned to see everything in life as an opportunity. Gets thrown in the Philippian jail. This is an opportunity. He stands before the Areopagus in Athens. This is an opportunity. Gets chained in Caesarea. Another opportunity. A shipwreck. Another opportunity. Thrown in jail for two years in Rome. I'll use this as an opportunity. This is what i like you to walk away with. Some of you, in whatever circumstances you face today, feel like you're chained to something. You might be a young mother and you had a lot of kids quickly. You gave up a career to be in that home. And it's narrowing, it's stifling. You feel imprisoned. There was a woman named Susanna Wesley who had 19 children. Now, that's a chain. She didn't see it that way. She saw it as an opportunity. And two of her children, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, became preachers and a songwriter that shook the British Isles. Some of you feel chained to a lousy job. You think, boy, I, I hate my job. There's unbelievers all around me. I like to work at church. I don't think so. (laughs) Think of the opportunity you have with all those unbelievers. Some of you feel chained because of a disease. You might even get this message in a hospital room or a convalescent home. And you think, how could God ever use me confined to these four walls? Did you know that Charlotte Elliott wrote her best hymns while she was confined as an invalid? She didn't know when she wrote the song, Just As I Am, without one plea, that it would be sung at every Billy Graham crusade, the man who preached to more people than any other human being. God used her chain. Some people feel chained because they're literally in prison. I know that prisoners will be hearing this message. Martin Luther translated the Bible in a prison. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in a prison. God can use that time in your life as the best time in your life, if you let him. Now, we conclude the story, really, but let's go back and finish off the last two verses and we'll close. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him, period. The book ends. We are told nothing of what happens after those two years. So if you'll allow me, I want to go from the actual to the probable. I'm going to give you what I think with the best evidence we have of what happened until Paul died. Now, first of all, most scholars in reading this, most people in reading this, would say the book of Acts ends suddenly, abruptly. Inappropriately. I mean, why does Luke not tell us how the main character dies? You know why? Because Paul isn't the main character. The Holy Spirit is the main character. And Luke is simply recording what the Holy Spirit did through a man yielded to him, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a yielded life. Most commentators have said the book of Acts is an unfinished book. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, here, you finish it. You add to it. The church isn't dead. Paul's gone. That's over. But it continues through you. You write something. I don't mean literally write the Bible, but just add to it by your life. Remember that old poem that says you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the things that you do and the words that you say. People hear what you say and they see what you do. So what is the gospel according to you? Our lives, our exploits, our movements of faith are all part of the unfinished story as the book of Acts continues. Now, according to the best sources, after the two years were finished, the best sources being Clement of Rome, who lived in the 80s AD, right after Paul, Eusebius, who lived in Ephesus. Nero, the king, set Paul free, and he took his freedom for a year. He was set free at least a year. Some think he went all the way to Spain, because that was his dream. Took the gospel there. We don't know for sure. But most probably, he went to Colossae during that year. And he met with church leaders. He met with Philemon, whom he wrote to. He brought with him Onesimus, who was the runaway slave that Paul converted while he was in prison. And he writes to him in Philemon who lived in Colossae, and said, Prepare a guest room for me. I'll be there soon. So he anticipated the release. He not only went to Colossae, but you have to go by Crete to get to Colossae. So he probably stopped by and saw Titus, whom he said, I want you to appoint elders in every city and set things in order until I get there. And then he probably went and joined Timothy in Ephesus. History tells us that he was arrested in Troas and brought back to Rome. Rome for his final imprisonment. This time, he wasn't under house arrest. This time, it wasn't as convenient for two years. But he was placed in the Mamertine prison in the forum. Mamertine prison is a hole in the ground. No windows, but a hole that goes to the top where food is let down. It's smelly, dark. And that's where Paul spent his final days, the Mamertine prison. I've been there twice. Here's what I've noticed about the Mamertine prison today. Nobody goes there. You get a few stragglers who've heard about it, and they'll go down and look at it. It's funny because not far away, thousands of people are in line every day to go to the Vatican. The Vatican wouldn't exist were it not for the Mamertine. Paul's final days on earth were spent in the Mamertine prison. And in that last imprisonment, he wrote a final letter to his apprentice, Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last book ever written by Paul, shortly before his death, perhaps even ours. I'm going to read three verses out of it. He writes to Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I know I'm going to die soon. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, our righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Paul was taken to the Basilica Julia, built by Julius Caesar, where he stood trial and heard his death sentence. Then he was taken outside of Rome, somewhere on the Ostian Road, where he was beheaded, tradition tells us. And I'm going to borrow from two authors. One is A.T. Robertson, who recounts probably what happened. The crowds flowed into town. Some were going out. Paul was only a criminal going to be beheaded. Few, if any, of the crowd would know or care anything about him. At a good place on the road some miles out the executioner stopped the block was laid down the executioner stood ready axe in hand the men stripped paul tied him kneeling upright to the low pillar which exposed his back and his neck the lectors beat him with rods for the last time he groaned and bled from his nose and mouth and then Without a hint of hesitation, the executioner frowned as he swung the blade down, swiftly hitting its mark with a dull thud. The head of the greatest preacher of the ages rolled upon the dust of the ground. In that brutal moment, Paul moved from Rome to home, from the imperial city to the eternal city. Paul the prisoner was set free, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But his writings went on, didn't they? Yitzhak Kaduri rattled some cages in Jerusalem and in the Jewish world. Paul the apostle shook the world. So the story ends abruptly. Maybe it's supposed to, maybe you're supposed to finish it. The story continues through your life. Maybe for some, this end of Paul's life could be the beginning of your long road, your journey to heaven. Hey, you want an exciting life? Get saved. And get busy doing God's work. Give your moments to Christ and see what he'll do. Oh, never have a boring moment. I can guarantee you that. It won't always be the funnest, most all won't always be the most comfortable or most convenient, but you want an adventure. This is it. Heavenly Father, we bless your name today. In closing out the story of besides Jesus, the greatest preacher who ever lived, Paul the Apostle. We've been moved by his life, his example, his motivation. Lord, we too have been given as stewards the message of the gospel to learn, to understand, to articulate, to proclaim. May it be our motivation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.